Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dig the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The word of the Lord. All right, so tonight is week three in our month-long series on what did Jesus teach about money. And we're going to look at uh, a fun passage, Lazarus and the rich man. Does everybody like this passage? It's a good, fun one there. But before I do... I do. I'm going to talk about something you're not supposed to talk about on January 23rd, and that is a Christmas movie. If you're like me, watching Christmas movies or listening to Christmas music after December 26th is kind of like a no-go, but this is important. Um, In order to understand Lazarus and the Rich Man, we need to talk about this story. So, A Christmas Carol. Has everyone seen or read or watched or been familiar with some version of A Christmas Carol? How many of you, this is like top five Christmas movies? How many of you, it's in the like annual? Okay, yeah. Yep, in fact, I know it is in the uh, in the Ian Amanda's household, so it's kind of weird. I'm the one up talking about it, and they can fact check me on all my like Christmas Carol stuff. <laughs> Whether or not it's a favorite for us, this is actually one of the most influential stories like in our modern culture. Um, Dickens published this in 1843, and it was an instant hit. Like It was, immediately became popular. It was turned into a stage version as early as 1844. Before he died, Dickens did 127 public readings of the book. Uh, popularized the phrase Merry Christmas, like it had been around before then, but it kind of is what pushed it into the mainstream. It also invented the phrase Bah Humbug. So I know if you're walking around this week saying Bah Humbug, you can thank Charles Dickens for that. And it turned the name Scrooge into shorthand for someone who is wealthy and cold-hearted. For example, when I grew up, I never once questioned why this guy was called Scrooge, right? Like, I, I, I instinctively knew that someone who was miserly with their money was Scrooge. 
there's been over 30 film and television adaptations of A Christmas Carol. I'm curious if any story has been done more, actually. That'd be an interesting thing to look up. To the point where you probably have a favorite version of it, right? Like, who is it? Who's Muppets? Okay, yeah. Mickey? No Mickey? All right. We got uh, Bill Murray down there, and then we have Jim Carrey, too. Uh, is there, does anybody have a favorite version that didn't make it up there? We always like the black and white one. Okay, the old school one. Very cool. Very cool. So what I'm trying to get at is this is one of the most popular, most influential stories in our culture. One of the stories we're most regularly exposed to over and over and over again. A story that's come to us in dozens of forms. And yet I'm not sure we ever actually internalized the message that it teaches. I'm not sure that as a culture we've actually taken on what the story is supposed to teach us. We've turned it into a sentimental Christmas story instead of actually a lesson about how to live life. And if I remember the story correctly, again, I'm not actually a great expert on it. So you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Ebenezer Scrooge, right, is a man who has wealth and yet continues to withhold kindness and compassion from those that are lower than him in society, from the sick, from the poor, from those in need, even just regular workers who are struggling to get by. Scrooge blames them for their lot in life, calls them lazy, and refuses to feel compassion over the suffering of others. Did I pretty much get that right? You guys are, yeah. And as a result, he's visited by the ghost of Jacob Marley, who tells him that if he doesn't change his ways, what's going to happen? Yeah, I mean, he's going to have the same fate as Jacob Marley to wander the earth forever in shades, right? It might not be a classical understanding of hell, but I mean, that's basically what he's saying. If Scrooge does not learn kindness and generosity, he's on his way to eternal damnation. And again, I'm convinced that in most of our society, we watch this movie over and over every year, but we haven't actually internalized that message that if you don't show compassion to the poor, you might be on your way to hell. And part of the failing in this is this is not a theology we've been taught. We've been taught that if you put your faith in Jesus, you're good. And then all your works in this world are kind of irrelevant to that point. In fact, relying on your works or any sort of actions might actually make you miss the gospel. And there is some truth in that. But that's not quite what this passage teaches. And we might say, hey, this is just a weird outlier passage, right? You should never really build a theology around one passage. That's definitely true. But if we go over to Matthew 25 and the sheep and the goats, we find that it's a, a, the conclusion of the story is this. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or need clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. 
then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Or we might find the parable of the unmerciful servant, the guy who's forgiven his, this enormous debt and then goes and shakes down his friend for 50 bucks. And the conclusion of the passage is this. And the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should be paid back all that he owed. Or if we want to go to the Sermon on the Mount, we find this. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Or lastly, right after Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he says this, But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So despite a message we've often been given that all that matters is the relationship between us and God, between us and God, the Gospels are pretty clear that how we treat one another really matters. And it seems to have a pretty strong bearing on how God treats us, not just in this life, but in the next. Apparently, the message of a Christmas carol is pretty true, that if we do not have compassion on our neighbor, we might be on our way to hell. And this is what our passage for tonight teaches. Let's, let's look at it again. It's not super long, so sometimes it's nice to read a passage twice and kind of get it into us. So Luke 16, 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you, from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone goes from the dead, for someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead.
Fun times, huh? So after we read a passage for that, I have to ask a question. Was Martin Luther wrong? You guys know Martin Luther? Martin Luther famously believed, quoting Ephesians, that it was only by grace we are saved, that there's nothing we can do to earn God's love, and all of our works are as filthy rags. And a passage like this really challenges that view. But Luther's not necessarily wrong in the sense that you will never earn your way to God. There is no morality that makes us right by God, and there's no amount of charity that can fix our heart towards God. It's right, it's not giving that, that opens up the relationship with God. We are saved just because we are saved in our sin, and while we were still sinners, while we were still in the far-off country, Christ died for us. We don't overcome our sin, right? It is forgiven. We don't earn our way into heaven. We simply open our hands and receive the invitation of God. We submit to God. And despite all our sin, all our hatreds, all our pettiness, all the ways we destroy one another, the invitation of God is completely open to us. Christ has vanquished sin on the cross, and now we can receive the love of God. And this is the radical grace of God. But if we take this as just a transaction, just a get-out-of-jail-free card, just some sort of cosmic math, we've missed the point. This is Almighty God looking at us in our helplessness, some of which we are victims in, but some of which is entirely our fault, and saying, I love you. You are mine. Come to me and rest. And when we receive that, it has to change us. Because we are forgiven, our heart should soften towards those who have wronged us. Because God cares for us, even when we don't deserve it, our heart should soften towards those who are hurting, even when their wounds are self-inflicted. Because God has given us everything, it should loosen our purse strings, right? And make us a little less afraid to give. Because God's love has overwhelmed us, we need to let it flow out of us. And so the gospel reminds us that we are poor. So how dare we withhold from the poor? The gospel reminds us that we are forgiven, so how dare we withhold forgiveness? The gospel teaches us that we are loved unconditionally, so who are we to withhold love from those who don't deserve it? In other words, grace isn't just something we receive, right? It's not just a transaction. It's not just math. Grace is meant to be who we become. And on the flip side, as our passage teaches us, if we have no grace for one another, we might have to go back to the basic thing and see if we've missed it. 
We may have missed it altogether if we have no grace for our neighbor in need. And we might have to go back to those basic gospel truths and again receive from God. So Martin Luther is right. If you think that, you know, I gave 15% of my income to the poor last year, I'm good. That's not what it's about. But if you have received grace and it doesn't soften you, doesn't soften your attitude towards your neighbor in need, you probably already find yourself outside the kingdom of God. And this is my experience. When you withhold compassion from the poor, you will find yourself disconnected from the love of God. Have you guys experienced that? When you are closed off to the needs of others, there's a separation from God that happens. Have you guys, do you guys know what I'm talking about? I shared this about two weeks ago. In 2013, we went through a season where our finances sort of collapsed, and at the same time, we had a baby, and I was exhausted, and I was overwhelmed, and this, the feelings of scarcity really kind of like got a hold of me. And we'd been doing this really involved homeless ministry for several years, and that kind of collapsed, and I got hurt, and I got burned, and at the end result, I just kind of like closed up. And I went through the season where I felt like I really kind of like withdrew into myself, and I felt resentful towards those who were in need. And I spent more time fixating on how that person wasn't helping themselves, and how this was self-inflicted, and how it was their fault. And I got stuck in my own scarcity and I felt like I had nothing to give and this feeling just of like, why does everyone want to take from me? Have you guys ever been there? You ever walked into that season? And you know what happened when I walked into that place? I lost God. I don't know that God was punishing me, right? Like God cast me out, but I lost hold of the gospel as my daily story. And the world became a colder place. The magic of the kingdom of God where food shows up, where loaves and fishes multiply, where sinners are found, where the homeless find a home, where God is present in all things, that stuff kind of went away. And if hell is separation from the love and kindness of grace of God, guess where it was? Hell, that's the word for it. When we become separated from the grace and love of God. Does that make sense? Have you guys experienced that? I know I've been through it and I've seen others go through it as well. They get burned in some way and they lose compassion and they close up. And suddenly joy and grace and love wane from their life. They stop having time and space for others. And everything is about scarcity and protection. And they lose God. It's really sad. And again, I don't think God is quick to say, you didn't help your neighbor, off to hell with you. I think it's far more relational than that. That when we close ourselves off to compassion towards others, we find ourselves separated from the love of God. We find ourselves outside of the joyful place called the kingdom of God.
And of course, I can't read this passage without sharing one of my favorite stories from literature, which I think really gets at this idea. Some of you know it. It's called The Onion. It comes from the Brothers Karamazov by Fyodor Dostoevsky, and he tells a parable. Yeah, I'll go out there. Once upon a time there was a woman, and she was as wicked as wicked could be, and she died. And not one good deed was left behind her. The devils took her and threw her into the lake of fire. And her guardian angel stood there thinking, what good deed of hers can I remember to tell God? Then he remembered and said to God, once she pulled up an onion and gave it to a beggar woman. And God answered, take now that same onion, hold it out to her in the lake, let her take hold of it and pull. And if you pull her out of the lake, she can go to paradise. You can go to the next slide. The angel ran to the woman and held out the onion to her. Here, woman, he said, take hold of it and I'll pull. And he began pulling carefully and had almost pulled her all out all of the way out when other sinners in the lake saw her being pulled out and all began holding on to her so as to be pulled out with her. But the woman was wicked as wicked could be, and she began to kick them with her feet. It's me who's getting pulled out, not you. It's my onion, not yours. No sooner did she say that than the onion broke, and the woman fell back into the lake and is burning there to this day. And the angel wept and went away. How have you walked yourself into this place? How have you allowed your heart to become cold towards those in need? How have you separated yourself from God in your unwillingness to give grace to others? So what do we do? What do we do when our hearts get cold towards those in need? We all go through this, right? We all have seasons of this. Times when we get burned. Times we offer forgiveness to someone and they take advantage of us. Times we give to somebody and they use it poorly. Times when we close up. Seasons of scarcity. What do we do when our hearts get cold towards those in need? three things I want to share. The first is, go back to grace. Remember where you stand with God, that you are only here by the grace of God, that you are forgiven despite your sin, you are loved despite your rebellion, you are cared for despite all your squanderings, you are here by grace alone. I really believe that no Christian should ever utter the phrase, well, no one ever helped me. I had to do it all on my own.
You are not here because you deserve it. You are here because Almighty God has chosen to love you despite all your flaws. So does that person deserve your help? No. But that's not really what it's about, right? We are called to be grace to them because Christ has been grace to us. So when you find yourself cold-hearted towards others, go back to that grace. Go back to that grace. When your hands are tight around your, your giving, go back to that grace. When you don't want to forgive, go back to that grace. And remember how radical is the love of God towards you. Second, remember that it's all God's. Our story is about a rich man, right? And Jesus is pretty upfront about the dangers of wealth for a number of reasons, and we can talk about that for a long time. But, you know, wealth separates us from those in need, right? I mean, it really does. If you have a million dollars in the bank, it's hard to be compassionate on someone who is having trouble paying the rent. It's just hard to know what that feels like, right? You lose connection. And wealth separates us from those in need physically, right? If all your neighbors are well-to-do, those in need become projects they become clients rather than brothers and sisters and friends and neighbors. And wealth makes us proud, right? We don't need God for our daily bread. We lose track of God's daily care for us. So we become separated from the gospel of grace. And wealth ties us into the status quo, right? When Jesus says a whole new world is coming where everything's going to be flipped upside down, it's the least, the last, and the lost who say, yeah, man, I'm in. Sign me up. Those with wealth kind of go, well, what's this, what's this, uh, you know, what's this going to do to my property value? Uh, not so sure about that. Wealth makes us like things the way they are. So there are real dangers to wealth that separate us from God. And that said, I have to say, it doesn't actually really matter how much you make. If you fall into the pattern of scarcity, you will close up towards those in need, right? Have you guys experienced that? When you're, when you're really stuck in a mindset of there is not enough, it is very difficult to be generous towards others. If your mind fixates on what you don't have and what you could lose, how close you feel to empty, you will resent those in need because they're a threat. And not just, you know, your friend who needs money, right? But if you're so stressed about time, if you constantly feel scarcity of time, your friend who needs a phone call, you're like, why do they keep calling me? If you're living in scarcity, you will be cold-hearted towards the person in need. And so you have to come back to the basic truth. You can put that back up for a second. It's all God's, and there is enough. It's all God's, and there is enough. Ready? Say it with me. It's all God's, and there is enough. One more time. It's all God's, and there is enough. It's all God's, and there is enough. When you feel
feel your heart go cold, I invite you to just sit in that. You know, if you need to just pray it, just that, over and over again. It's all God's, and there is enough. It's all God's, and there is enough. And just stay in that until you feel your hands loosen and your heart soften. Go back to those truths that God will provide what you need. That God can fill your bucket in miraculous ways, right? God can multiply the loaves and fishes. God knows what you need and will take care of you. So keep saying it until you feel your hands loosen around your finances. It's all God's. And there is enough around your time. It's all God's. And there is enough. And around your compassion, it's all God's. And there is enough. And when you let that change you, you can give. And it will be okay. Because it's all God's. And there is enough. Amen? And lastly, there's a calling to see Christ in the poor, to see Christ in those in need, to see Christ in the lowly. We should be honest, Lazarus isn't doing great, right? We shouldn't glamorize that. We shouldn't glamorize like, oh, if you just go with Lazarus, it'll be wonderful all the time. Lazarus is covered in sores. He's being licked by dogs, right? Like, this is not pretty. He probably stinks to high heaven. And he's probably miserable, right? Like, if you were in Lazarus's shoes, would you be a ball of sunshine? Would you be like, oh, you're here to help me. This is awesome. No, he's probably pretty miserable. He's in severe pain. He's probably not fun to be around. So expecting that hanging out with Lazarus would be this, like, happy, fun time... This joyful, soul-filling time might not be the right expectation. And this is where we have to go back to a mystery, that when we feed the poor, we meet Christ. Just as Matthew 25 teaches that withholding from those in need is withholding from God, on the flip side, it teaches that giving to those in need is giving to Christ. As you guys know, I live right near Mill Street, which means I walk up and down Mill Street pretty much every day. And there are certain people, if I'm honest, I dread running into. Because they grab me by the sleeve and they talk my ear off and they're not always coherent and they're completely unaware if I'm on my way to somewhere else. And if I think that helping those is somehow those in need is somehow glamorous and sexy, man, does that wear off quick? But instead, when that person stops me to talk, I have to think, how can I see Christ in that person today? How am I supposed to meet Christ, be meeting Christ right now? It really does change my attitude. I don't know if you guys have ever tried that. It really does change. Because, you know, it's not transactional anymore, right? It's not, is this person smell good? Or are they fun? Or do I get a rush out of this? It's how do I meet Christ through this person? Dorothy Day said this. The mystery of the poor is this. That they are Jesus, and what you do for them, you do for him.
It is the only way we have of knowing and believing in our love. If your heart is cold towards those in need, try asking, how can I see Christ in this person today? How am I supposed to be meeting Christ right now? Now, I would say there is uh, a slight danger in going too far the other way, right? I don't think this passage says that you have to give to everyone all the time. I don't think you have to give every last dollar to the person that asks. I don't think you have to let every friend in need crash on your couch every night. I don't think you have to pick up every phone call. I think it's okay to say no. I think God doesn't ask you to give beyond what you have. God doesn't tell you, God does tell you to be wise with your finances. And again, if it becomes a guilt and obligation thing, that's not grace flowing out of us, right? So if you're feeling worn out and exhausted, I think instead of closing up your heart, I think what God says is take a nap. I really do. Because what you're not allowed to do, I do think you're allowed to say no, what you're not allowed to do is dehumanize the person, which is what happens to Lazarus. You're not allowed to stand above them. You can't refuse to feel anything towards them. You can't say nobody ever helped me. You can't say this is just our lots in life. Don't allow yourself to close up towards that person. So if you feel yourself creeping towards that place where you're like, I have nothing to give, take a nap. God made you with limitations. He didn't make you an endless well of time and resources and money. Take a nap. Take a deep breath. Go watch a movie. Take a day off. Let God restore you. I'm serious. Take a day off and come back to the grace of God. Because as this passage teaches us, the consequences of letting our heart grow cold, becoming resentful towards those in need, are huge. So don't do it. Go take a walk. Let God love you. Be restored. And then you can give again. And then you will find yourself back in the kingdom of God. Amen? All right, so let's wrap it up. The good news for tonight is that you are absolutely loved by God. Despite the fact that you've done so little to deserve it, you are absolutely loved by God. And we need to come back to that regularly and not just receive for ourselves, but let it soften us toward our neighbor. Not just receive grace, but to give it away. When we withhold this grace, we become cold, we become hard, we become separated from God. But the other good news is the exact opposite of this, right? That when we live in generosity, when we live in kindness, when we live in compassion, we live in the kingdom of God. We live in this weird, magical place called the kingdom of God where loaves and fishes multiply, where things show up that we need, where Christ is somehow present in everyone, where God is there with us, where sinners are found, where the homeless come home, where lost brothers who squander everything are brought back to a party.
Grace is a beautiful thing when we let it rule our world. Amen. So don't be the rich man in our story. Receive the radical grace of God. Let it change you and give it away. And you will find yourself in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.